Where is the only U.S. county that borders four states? And what movie was marketed in Sweden as quote the film that's so funny it was banned in Norway? <laughs> <laughs> it uh, depends on what kind of a sense of humor they have in I, Norway. I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fun trivia. Well, Marsha, where is the only U.S. county that borders four states? That's hard to fathom, I know. No, it's yeah. not. I'll give you choices here. <laughs> oh, thank you. New Mexico? Yeah. Oklahoma? Uh-huh. Arkansas or South Dakota? New Mexico. New Mexico! Wrong! <laughs> Oklahoma, Arkansas, or South Dakota? South Dakota. South, South Dakota! Dakota. Uh, wrong. <laughs> no, okay. that's wrong. Okay, I don't know. Oklahoma! Oklahoma! But it's so small. Well, you're, No, it's not that small. It's just configured it looks small. No, Oklahoma doesn't look small. The tip of the panhandle looks small. That's where this county lies. It's oh. Cimarron County. The only county in the U.S. to border four states, Kansas, Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado. Well, that's amazing. It is amazing. And this was part of the no man's land before the county was created in 1907. The area was uh, considered a lawless, dusty region of the panhandle known as no man's land. Today, there's 3,000 people who live there, so it's a small place. And the county seat is Boise City. Boise City. But it is in Oklahoma. I'll be darned. And and within that county, you can also find Oklahoma's highest point, Black Mesa, which is 5,000 feet above sea level, and it has dinosaur tracks and fossils. Oh, my gosh. So it does a lot of things. It borders four states. It has the highest point in that state, and it has dinosaur tracks and fossils. So there, Cimarron County. Well, our our listeners are so much better informed now. Well, it sounds like a good destination if you're ever well, in Oklahoma. It's, it's certainly interesting. I had no idea. Okay, Bob, ready? Mm-hmm. What movie was marketed in Sweden as the film that's so funny it was banned in Norway? <laughs> I will give you three choices. Okay. Borat, Porky's, Life of Brian. Oh, I'll bet it was Borat. No. No? Mm-mm. Okay, Life of Brian. Correct. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, Life of Brian. And it, was, and it was so funny, it was banned in Norway. That's what they said. That you can't yeah. laugh in Norway these well, days? It's I mean, the happiest country in the world. One of the happiest countries. But still, Chelsea was there for a, uh, she was there for a semester during study when she was in college. Yeah. Maybe she could tell us why something could be so funny it would be banned in Norway. <laughs> we'll have to ask her. All right, Marcia, ever heard of a walking room? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'd like to bring new business developments to the off-ramp here. And there's a new concept in office design called the walking room, where once there were treadmill desks, yeah. individual desks oh you might walk goodness. behind while working. Now an Amsterdam company is trying to popularize a big moving carpet, eight to ten people on it, and you walk. And if you want to, you could put a desk at the very end with laptops, so you can be walking while you're using your laptop. Wait, is the is the, is it moving? 
Yes, it's like a conveyor belt. The floor moves as a big treadmill. I've seen pictures of people working at these tables. They look like they're standing behind their laptops, but actually they're walking. Really? It's called the Walking Room. That's actually the name of the company, and they hope to install walking rooms in offices around the world. Wow. Well, it could catch on. What's that thing Chelsea has? She stands up when she... It's a stand-up desk. Stand-up desk. Yeah, so this is like a walking room with a stand-up desk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty... So Pretty soon know, it'll be the jogging desk. Here, here's what'll happen. About 20 years from now, they'll say, all those people who had those walking rooms and stand-up desks, they've got bad arches. <laughs> they have bad Didn't arches. Didn't they know? <laughs> Didn't they have any idea this would be bad for them? No, no, no. Okay, so here's another movie pop quiz. I'm giving you, Bob, questions from good old AARP for people over 50, which I am, but I won't say how far. (laughs) And uh, I just thought... uh, How far beyond 50 are you, Marsh? I just thought we are a movie family, and this is a fun little quiz to give my husband. Okay, Okay. you ready? Yes, I'm ready. To land the part of a Navy Patrol boat crewman in Apocalypse Now, Lawrence Fishburne convinced director Francis Ford Coppola that he was 18 years old. How old was he? Oh, he must have been younger than that, huh? You have three choices. Okay. This is our, but it's not Marsha. It's okay. much kinder. Oh, thank <laughs> it you. gives you oh, three thank choices. Goodness. 14, 16, 30. I'll bet he was 14. That's correct. He no was kidding. 14 years 14 old. 14 years old. And he talked his way into that. Bravo. That takes some chutzpah. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Okay, Marsh, tell me what's the difference between a marsh and a swamp? Are they the same thing? A marsh and a swamp. Yes, there is a difference. Okay. Can and you tell me the difference? There's more grass in a marsh. There's more grass in a marsh. Yes. Well, that's kind of close. Okay. They're both wetlands. Yes. A swamp can also be compared to a lowland forest as it's classified based on the type of tree that grows in its ecosystem. For example, depending on the predominant tree, a swamp can be classified as a hardwood swamp, a cedar swamp, or a cypress swamp. The way you determine what it is is by the type of tree that grows. To your point, a marsh has no trees and instead is dominated by plants and grasses that live on waterlogged soil. So, What is the Everglades? Well, that's a good question. A lot of people think that's a swamp. It's actually the largest marsh system in the USA. And before it was partially developed, it took up an astonishing 4,000 square miles of the Florida landscape. Really? But the Everglades is a marsh, not a swamp. Okay. Okay. I'll remember that. Just want to make sure you know that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay, you got another one? Yeah. Okay. Renee Zellweger's accent in Bridget Jones' diary, remember that? Yes, yes. Was so convincing that co-star Hugh Grant thought she was British. In fact, she was from which country? Was it Canada, United States, or... Liechtenstein. <laughs> no kidding. I did. I thought she was British too. Yes. Yeah, so okay. Did so Hugh she Grant. must be Canadian then. No, it's United States. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. See, I you know I haven't seen her in that many things. Yeah. So oh no kidding. So man, to fool a British actor. Yeah, that's pretty who's good. Who's had training? Yeah. She did a good job then. Yeah, she did. Of, that, uh, that was a good movie too. That was great. All right, Marcia. Speaking of entertainment, what country has more than eighty? opera companies operating at any given time. Now, this is kind of a lost art for many again. places. 80 opera companies? 80, eight zero opera companies operating at any given time. I imagine it would be like something like Russia or Italy. Russia or Italy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll let you know what it is. It's Germany. 
Really? Germany. It's the launch pad for many in the opera scene. It has numerous opportunities for training and employment in opera. They have more than 80 full-time opera companies, more than any other country. Now, one reason is in contrast to Italian opera, which was generally composed for the aristocratic class, German opera was generally composed for the masses and tended to feature simple folk-like melodies. So it was much more popular. The other is they have state and federal governments providing the majority of funding for the 80-some opera houses. Wow, well, that'd help. Uh, And you know what? When I said Russia, I bet I was thinking more ballet. Oh, yes, of course. That's they were big on ballet. For, not right. opera. Anyway, they have, uh, they have state and federal government supplying roughly $3.3 billion a year to fund yeah. music wow. and theater Wouldn't they in love Germany. That here? No kidding. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You we- took me to my first opera. You remember that? You took me to opera. I took you to see rock and roll. That was it. And here we are, 40 years later, <laughs> doing trivia. Which sitcom star played a police officer at the end of the movie Psycho? Was it Don Knotts, Ted Knight, or Bob Newhart? Really? At the end of yeah. Psycho? Yeah. The original Psycho? Yeah. He there was a sitcom a, star. Yeah, who, he played a police officer. I'll bet it was Bob Newhart. Wrong. Okay, who was it? Ted Knight. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. These are like, Murray. <laughs> With a little notepad. Wait, is that is that is that mom over there in the rocking chair? <laughs> Do that in his that voice. Is that your mother over there? <laughs> Why isn't she talking? Rocking. Is that your mother in the rocking chair over there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very funny. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go ahead. What do you got? Oh, I, I've got uh, two of the world's most unusual beaches. Now, one is in the northern hemisphere, the other is in the southern hemisphere. Two of the world's most unusual beaches, what do they have in common? Um, sand. They do have sand. Uh-huh. But that's ding, not ding, it. Ding, no, one no, for Marsha. No, no, no Marsh, no. that's okay. not a ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I found this from an article on unusual beaches, and two of them had this characteristic. Very unusual for a beach. Okay, tell me. Thermal features. Oh, really? Yes. One beach is at Lake Lugravat in Iceland. You can bake bread in sands heated by volcanic lava there. At the shoreline, there are cracks in the tectonic plates that send scalding water up to the beach surface, and locals dig holes in the boiling sands, and then they put dough in metal pans, and they bake their bread. (laughs) So people go there for picnics. They have fresh bread and butter. Oh, my God. They have hard-boiled eggs. Let's go for a swim and make some bread. They can also boil the hard-boiled eggs there and then smoke their fish, and they have tasty picnics. So that's one of the beaches. That's in Iceland. In New Zealand, in the Southern Hemisphere, is Hot Water Beach. And there, thermal springs filter hot water up through the sands between the high and the low tides. And beachgoers there either bring or rent shovels, and they dig their very own hot tubs right there on the shore. (laughs) That's so cool. Aren't those two very odd beaches? Yes. Yes. Okay, Bob, before the break, here's a question. The actor for which famous voice role was nearly mute for years as a child. Was it Woody, Tom Hanks, Shrek, Mike Myers, or Darth Vader, James Earl Jones? Well, I think it was James Earl Jones. 
Because he had a stammer yeah, or a stutter, yeah, I know. that's what he had. So did he have, was well, he mute before that too? Yeah, he was. Okay. <laughs> he had a, a bad stutter, but before that, apparently he was also almost mute. That's amazing. Yes. Amazing okay. for somebody to overcome both of those yeah. and have this beautiful, mellifluous voice he used in the movies and things. I think he did uh, what Joe Biden did, who was a terrible stutter uh, growing up when he got his voice and uh, put stones in his mouth to overcome it, which wow. is pretty remarkable. Though. I never heard about that. Yeah, he did. I knew people sang, and that got them over stutters, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. All right. Um, let's see. you got more movie questions coming up, I think, don't I you? I do. All right. We'll be back with more of that when The Off-Ramp continues. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this for the Cedarburg Public Library every week, and then we put it out on the podcast platforms all over the world. So All over the world. Okay. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> emphasizing, Bob. God, you're all over this. How much coffee did you have today? <laughs> I've switched over. It's not morning anymore, Bob. Okay. I just uh, saw this the other day, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, you know, Devil's Tower, that's that uh, famous feature of the land out in Wyoming. It looks like something that's growing up out of the, yeah, you know, yeah. it, was, it was in the uh, yeah. movies. What was that Encounter? called? Encounters. Close Encounters, of yes. The third kind so of the Devil's second. Tower. I always thought that was a volcanic plug, but oh. now they've come up and saying, no, that's not what it was. What is it? Well, it looks like it was thrust up out of the ground. It's a massive rock formation, 1,267 feet above the grassland area around it. It's believed that the rock is made of magma, that's molten rock, but it's no longer believed to be a volcanic plug. They think instead that the rock around it eroded away. All the rest of the surface of the earth eroded, leaving that there. That's amazing. Yeah, it's called a proto-light porphyry rock. The surrounding softer rock was stripped away. I, it's just, uh, it's amazing. Well, by the way, where did it get its name Devil's Tower? They think it may be a result of a bad translation. Oh, yeah, for Indian translation? That's right. Wow, what is it? The site was known by the Indians as Bear Lodge. That's what the Native Americans uh-huh. called it. Then they think it was associated with bears rather than evil spirits. It's suspected a bad translation led the men to confuse the word for bear and bad god. So they oh, confused okay. those two. Yeah. So well, that's that's a, happened more than once. Huh? So because it was bad god, it must be the devil. It's a devil's <laughs> tower there. Okay. You'll like this. It's another voiceover question. Okay. Albert Brooks was not the original choice to voice Nemo's father in Finding Nemo. We've all... Enjoyed that movie? Yes. Uh-huh. Which more dramatic actor was cast and then released? Hmm. Was it Sean Penn, William Macy, or Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> Gee, any of those any of those guys would be very no, different. No kidding. Totally different feel. Sean Penn would be a very snarky Nemo, uh, finding Nemo. Where is he at? <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll say Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, good choice. But no, it is William Macy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was cast to do the voiceover. Well, he can be pleasant. He can. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Bob. In the first draft of Toy Story, okay, mm-hmm. one of our faves, instead of being a cowboy toy, Woody was what? A instead to- of a cowboy toy? Yeah. Was he a toy soldier, a Ken doll, or a ventriloquist dummy? Oh, that would have been funny. A ventriloquist dummy who's a toy. Oh, my goodness. I would think it was probably a toy soldier. Ah, good guess, but no, you it was the funny one. Oh, a no ventriloquist kidding. dummy. 
Yes, that would have been amusing. Because that's been used as a very creepy thing in yeah. movies before. Yeah. But uh, I wonder why they dropped that and went to the... Uh, well, cowboy, more universal kids like it. They don't get the creepiness. I of, guess so. Uh, I guess know. so. It is. Okay. Okay, Marcia, what is the least frequently used letter in English? Is it P, Q, X, or Z? I should know this. I do my cryptograms every day. Ah, Q. No. X. No. Z. Yes. <laughs> Actually, X or Z are right because several different textual analyses of English have confirmed that Z appears least often in writing, but the letter X, fewer words start with X than any other letter. Yeah. I so, wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> because of people like you, Marsha. Yes, okay. All right, Marsha, I have a question to you about a restaurant. Now, okay. we, if you went to New York City, there's a lot of great restaurants you might go to. Let's go. Yeah, okay. Well, what would be the oldest restaurant in New York City that you might want to go to? Have I ever heard of this restaurant? Yes, well, if you know about American history, you've heard of it. Oh, is this someplace that the... Uh George Washington Rebel, yeah. is associated with yeah. this. Yeah. Okay, I'll say the Washington Inn in Restaurant and Pub. <laughs> <laughs> they already named it for him when he was alive. Yeah. No, I'll give you some names here, okay? Okay. Sweets, Francis Tavern, the Old Homestead, or Pete's Tavern. <laughs> I like Pete's. No, it's not Pete's okay, Tavern. Okay, the first one. It's Francis Tavern. Okay. And if you're a student of American history, that name should ring a bell because that's where George Washington bid farewell to his troops after the Revolutionary War in 1783. It's the oldest restaurant in New York City. Huh. It's on the corner of Broad and Pearl in Lower Manhattan, and it's been in business since 1763. Okay. So more than 260 years. The building dates back to more than 300 years to 1719. And several floors of that building are now a museum, which is free to enter. Oh, I'd like to look at their menu online. Yeah, See that'd be what... fun, wouldn't it? Okay, another movie pop quiz question. Who was originally cast as Indiana Jones for Raiders of the Lost Ark, but couldn't get out of his TV series contract? I think it was Magnum P.I. What was his name? What's the guy's name? The guy with the mustache. The original Magnum <laughs> P.I. guy. Come on. Oh, all right. Was it Don Johnson? Was it Ted Danson? Was it maybe Tom Selleck? It was Tom Selleck. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so they wanted him. Yeah, he was supposed oh. to be Indiana Jones. I wonder if he's ever felt bad about that. Look, that guy has had a huge career. He has had a terrific Bigger career. Bigger than anybody, I mean... On TV, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. And he's always the star, and he's made a zillion dollars. He's, he would have been think, great in that role, though. Yeah, but he would have had to run around and jump around with stakes. This way, right now, what's he doing that one show, and he gets to sit at a Sunday night dinner and oh, at yeah. the head of the table. and The Blue Bloods, I think it's yeah, called, isn't yeah. it? He's the family, uh, yeah. the cop, family yeah. of cops. Yeah, we got to watch that sometime and start at the beginning. Okay, what do you got? What did the first U.S. consumer protection law deal with, and when was it? Now, I'll let you know what year it was. Oh, thanks. This is the first U.S. Consumer Protection Law, and okay. it was in 1872. What yeah. did it deal with? Do I have choices? No. No. <laughs> this is the Marsha method. No uh, choices. I'm giving you choices well, on yeah, for every the first one of time in years. Yes. <laughs> Thank AARP. Pat yourself on the back. I, I'm doing it. Okay, I don't know what. The first U.S. Consumer Protection Law dealt with 
the use of the mail for fraudulent purposes. Oh, really? Back then, even. That was first enacted in 1872, making it a federal offense to use the mail for fraud. The post office chief specialist agent P.A. Woodward prosecuted professional cheats, as he called them, who were working the most wholesale and barefaced operations, mostly through the mails, without fear of punishment. So, oh, be darned. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. Ready? You'll like this, too. Okay. What famous director made a cameo as a clerk at the Cook County Assessor's Office in the movie The Blues Brothers? Remember that? Yes. Was it Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, or Ron Howard? Hmm. I wouldn't imagine any of those guys doing that. No. They're the clerk. I'll say, I'll say Ron Howard. Steven Spielberg. No kidding. Yeah. In the Blues Brothers. Yeah. I had no idea. He was the Cook County Assessor. The Clerk. Yeah. I got to go back and watch that. Yeah, me too. Isn't that funny? It's funny. We saw that not long ago. That didn't hold up real well. To me, the only thing that holds up well in that movie are the musical performances. The story sucks. Yeah, yeah. It just sucks. Yeah, it is stupid. But we were into stupid at that point in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got next? Okay. This goes back to 1980, all right? Mm-hmm. We all know there are a lot of newsmen around these days. What was the ratio of news reporters to convention delegates at the 1980 Democratic National Convention? What was the ratio of... The ratio of, of newsmen or newspeople to delegates. Really? So it was like two to one? It was three to one. Oh, my God. Three to one. Newsmen outnumbered delegates three to one. Actually, God. news people, but probably mostly men well, at that time. who was running at that race? What was it, 1980, you said? Yes, that was... Whoever was running against Ronald Reagan that year, do we know? That must have been Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's year. Yeah, so obviously it drew an enormous amount of attention. TV networks outspent the Democratic Party seven times over that year, and there were 11,500 press credentials issued Jeez. that year. The Democratic Party spent just $4 million to conduct the convention. The networks spent $30 million. I wonder if that's the way it's going to be coming up in 2024. Well, I can't wait for that. you got the two major party conventions within 80 miles of each other. Yeah. Milwaukee will be the Republican convention, and the uh, Chicago is going to be the Democratic convention. That's right. going to be quite interesting. So if you want to protest, you just have to hop on the expressway, and you're that's, that's only right. an hour and a quarter away. <laughs> Drive 80 miles. Either way, yeah, and get to the other convention. Easy squeezy. Okay, Bob. The carpet in the bad neighbor's kid's house in Toy Story. Remember, mm. there was a bad neighbor. Yes. Uh, in Toy Story, is an homage to the set of what horror film? Was it Psycho, The Shining, or The Last House on the Left? Wow, I don't know because I only saw one of those films. Yeah, and good, good for you. <laughs> uh, let's see. But I saw parts of The Shining, and then I saw Psycho. Parts of Psycho. I've okay. never seen the whole yeah. film. You're just not good at horror. I don't films. like uh, yeah, horror films. films. Yeah. yeah, it's all right, Bob. It's one of the I things. I don't like them. I know it's one of the things I no. like about you, but not whining. Don't oh, do that. Okay. Okay. The answer: the carpet in the bad neighbor's kid's house was from The Shining. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so they used a something that looked exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, you got to really know your movie tidbits to know that. Okay, got another one? I've got a movie star question. Okay. What movie star had a background of family members involved in sports, including a grandfather who won three Olympic events? He was the most versatile oarsman in U.S. history. Oarsman. Oarsman. He I was really from Philadelphia. Oh, I really follow that. Oarsman. Was, uh, Which movie rowing. star? Famous was, movie star. Was it somebody like Burt Lancaster? No. Okay, who was it? 
It was Grace Kelly. Oh, really? Her grandfather was John B. Kelly of Philadelphia. He won three Olympic championships, stroking pairs, fours, and eights to victory. And his son, John Jr., was also a celebrated figure in sculling. So she came from a very athletic family, sure. primarily involved in water. And then uh, she came along and became an actress. Yeah. But the Kellys of Philadelphia were very well known. Yeah, I'll be darned. All right, Bob, last question. Uh, another movie question. Yep. A final movie question. In your final answer. Okay. Which actress was the first pick for the lead role in one of your favorite movies, Alien? <laughs> <laughs> Which eventually went to Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver, Weaver, yeah. Right. Was it Jane Fonda, Meryl Streep, or Goldie Hawn? <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine any <laughs> one of those no, in there. No, you can't. Goldie Hawn going, oh, no, you know, covering <laughs> her mouth. Jane Fonda, I could see her daring them. Uh, let's see. And who's the other one? Meryl, Meryl Streep? Streep. That just seems like a, a little bring down for Meryl Streep to be in that movie. But she probably was the right age at the time, a young woman. So I'll say Meryl Streep. Ding, ding, ding. You finally got one right. What do you mean, finally got one right? <laughs> that is exactly right. She was the one they originally picked. I didn't know that. Yeah. That would have been very different. Yeah. When did... Yeah. It, 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 these uh, these uh, choices always, you can't picture, once you've loved a movie, you can't ever picture anyone else in them. Yeah, because the person who took the role really turned it into something. Yeah. It created a, yeah. a feeling that yeah. the other person wouldn't replicate. That's right. And it's their... Signature. But, yeah, that's their signature role, exactly. I have a question that's kind of interesting. Okay. How did an eclipse in 1764 do something that affected generations of thoroughbred horses? Really? Yes. How did an eclipse? An eclipse in 1764. Yeah. Did what? It did something that affected generations of thoroughbred horses. Well, the time they ate their dinner or something? It's a little bit of a trick question here. Ah, okay. The horse's name was Eclipse. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the greatest racehorse in all of history. He was born in England during the sun's eclipse of 1764 and was bred by the Duke of Cumberland. Now, Eclipse's descendants made up most of the thoroughbred breeds of horses up into the 1990s. He was considered so fast that horses running against him were rated 100 to 1 long shots. Holy camoly. And in one race at York, England, carrying 168 pounds, Eclipse ran four miles in eight minutes flat. And when Eclipse died, a hoof was set in gold and preserved for posterity. (laughs) That was in 1789. That horse died and all of England mourned. Wow. Eclipse. I had no idea. So that's a little bit of a trick question for you there. (laughs) Thank you, dear. All right, I'm going to finish up with a quote from Moliere. Okay. Uh, Holy Moliere. Who would have guessed that he had (laughs) so... I had no idea he said so many interesting things. Did you know that? Philosopher. He was. Yeah. I I read a lot of them, but here's one that I like. Life is a tragedy to those who feel and a comedy to those who think. <laughs> what do you think of that, Marcia? Holy Moliere. I don't know. You have to think about that yeah, for a think while. The more you think about it, the funnier it gets. <laughs> okay. What? Hey, if you'd like to send us a question or a quote, you can do that by going to our website, theofframp.show, scrolling all the way down to contact us, and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this week. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off Ramp.
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.